There's a whole collection of people trying to help Damien know why he's here on this earth. Um, I don't know if he's gotten that. Have you gotten it solved, Damien? Still not sure why. What's my purpose? Well, I wanted to first just say uh, it's so good to be together. And Easter last week, uh, man, the teams did a great job, and uh, it was an amazing weekend. But that weekend stirs us always. We always ask ourselves uh, as a team to say, what should come after that? Because all over the world, really, Easter weekend and especially Christmas weekend, churches swell in attendance. And we said, what is, why is that? Why is it that people come out of the woodwork for those two dates? And because largely, there's something built into most cultures that uh, you're supposed to like do God a favor or at least plug in those two dates, right? And they're critical for our Christian, uh, our Christian really our faith, our journey. Uh, those are huge days. We just said, what do we, what, how do we do a series that will help us begin to take people that might be on the fringes of their faith and begin to help move them forward. We want to grow. We want to be always a growing church. And so what we decided was to do a series called From Fan to Follower uh, and say that let's start talking about how many people are just fans of God and call people to be followers of God. There are a lot few followers of God and followers of Christ. And many people are fans. They, they think, you know, Jesus is a good idea. Morality is a good idea. And so we are going to do a series, which we've done a few times here, with a, a book reading that continues throughout really 42 days. How many of you read The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren years ago? Yeah, he rewrote this. And so this is 42 readings that we will start tomorrow together. Uh, our communications team will blog around that and right now our goal is because this says what on earth am I here for some of you are stumped by that question uh, we'll find some really great readings now there's a QR code on every chapter and you hit it with your phone or look on your computer and there's really full messages and great resources why are we doing this because we are called as the local church is to call people to follow Jesus not be fans of him and I want to talk to you about that because this whole series, we're going to push on this, this concept of you are not here just to be a fan about some things about God. And so our life, our spiritual life is like a path, right? We, we, it's, it's a path and we, we always want help in understanding what this path looks like, but really understanding why are we on this path and what's our purpose? It's the story, uh, if you remember... Uh, one of our presidents, uh, Dr. Ulysses S. Grant, President Grant, was being told in his presidency on how to golf. So a Scotchman came over and was going to teach him how to golf. And so they're at the first tee, and the Scotsman puts the ball on the ground and gets ready for the drive, as many of you guys have done, and, and swings at it and hits the dirt. And dirt goes flying all over the president and everybody else. Anyway, the guy, you know, embarrassed, tries it again, hits the dirt again, dirt's going everywhere. He does it six times. And the, and, you, and the president, Grant, leans over and says, seems like this sport's a lot of exercise, still don't know what the purpose of the ball is. <laughs> I think a lot of people today are taking swings at their spiritual journey, at religion. 
I want to continue to, if I just read my Bible a little bit more, if I just pray a little bit more, if I just give a little bit more, if I just take some swings and it feels like you hit dirt because really you still don't have, why are you here? What are you about? Why would God create you, the only you, to be here on this planet? Is it just to sit around and wait until he returns again? This is really what we want to dive in in this series and talk about really two paths. There really are only two paths all throughout Scripture. Your Bible from Genesis to Revelation never gives a third path or multiple paths. There is really two things. It's your path on what you think is right, and then there's God's way. There really is no other option, and so I know our world likes to create a public... What is it, a politically correct language of, you know, respect and love everyone, and we're supposed to do that. But then it's, it's we're, we're like saying, well, there's multiple ways to God. There really isn't. There really is only two. And Scripture is really clear about this, that you're either following what God has asked you to do or your path is a fan path. It's really, you're either a fan or a follower. You're not anything in between. And I think in our own sense, and even my own sense of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, I want you to know this series for me, as I've told you before, I don't sit, you know, in these teams and these meetings and we go, oh, the church really needs this because there's such bad fans, right? I, I need a refresher on what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Because the world is pulling at us, isn't it? And it moves us into fandom, it moves us into this, this shallow kind of perspective of what it means to follow God. You know, stadiums are going to be filled throughout our lifetime on different sports. You'd be hard-pressed to find a week, right? I actually think there's one week or something where nothing in sporting world happens. But I'm not even sure if that's really true because somewhere something's going on. But we love sports. and Sports aren't bad, but... They're filled with stadium. They're filled with fans. Do you know that I think the estimate is $620 billion will be spent on sports around the world. Why is that? Why, where does that money come from? It comes from fans. It comes from you and I. And, and fans aren't bad things, but when we talk about our spiritual lives, it's not really what God is looking for. He's not looking for a bunch of fans of him. The word fan actually means an enthusiastic devotee to something as a spectator. Uh, it comes, there's a Latin word uh, where it comes fanatical. It just means I'm crazy like cheering and I'm in the stands and I'm enthusiastic about a team. They say that this begins, this process begins when you're seven to eight years old, that you remember certain things about maybe a game that your parents took you to or some experience and you attached to that. A study was done, though, by Professor Daniel Wan. He's a sports psychologist at Murray State University and he talks about reasons why people become sports fans. I thought this was fascinating. And look at these reasons. It's the motivation scale for becoming a sports fan. Number one, positive stress. Isn't this great? As if we don't have enough stress already, we would like at least stress we choose, right? I'm going to pick this team. So if you were, I picked Michigan State for my uh, pool and NCAA, that I had instant stress and disappointment and then just said, forget it, I'm not going to do it anymore. It was done. But it's positive stress. Another one is escape. 
Wow, in the world today of so much darkness and evil, isn't it in some ways a great respite for us not to think about? It's escape. Uh, another one is, uh, there we go, entertainment. That's enjoyable. It's fun. I love going to, to sporting events. I do. I love sports. I love the idea of competing. I, I love it. So there's an energy to it and it's entertainment. Another one, it's economic. I mean, all those ticket scalpers, they're doing it for one reason, to make money. You know, there's money being made and it's, it, it's an engine for especially our community here. Aesthetics. Uh, the best way to explain this, I lived in Chicago, uh, Trish and I did, for almost 10 years and it wasn't because the Cubs ever won anything, but you would always want to go to a Cubs game. Why? There's something about being in downtown Chicago, right? Having, sitting in the stands, watching a Cubs game, they were terrible, but it didn't matter. It was aesthetics. It was just the feeling of being there. Uh, another one is group affiliation. Man, you find yourself connected to people, right? More, I mean, people could be not know each other from Adam, but you're wearing the same colors for the same team. You're like instantly brothers, right? I mean, you've, you've been life bro blood brothers. This is another one, self-esteem. A lot of people get their self-esteem for this. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, and so I apologize if anybody had that, but I'm always fascinated by tattoos of logos of sport teams on people that did not play for the sport, but they're just a fan. Isn't that crazy? Uh, I was it recently I heard one, one guy that got an NFL World Championship or Super Bowl tattoo. He wasn't, he was just a fan, and they didn't win that year, which I don't know what you do then. Do you just cross out the year and then keep waiting? I don't know. Uh, Self-esteem, it builds them up. Here's the last one, family needs. Because of brokenness in our families, often people find this sense of family. We watch this when we go to, I think, Packer games or different sporting events, you find a sense of people have found family in the midst of those. Now, none of these are evil, but let me tell you why this list profoundly hit me. It was like a punch to the stomach. I think a lot of people pick church and pick God for these reasons. They pick God because there's a brokenness and they just want a family. They, they, they need some self-esteem or group affiliation. It just feels good to be at church. It's, uh, well, hopefully they're not making money in here, but maybe they are, I don't know. Um, entertainment, escape. You think about these, and I want you to hear, there is, th these are not why Jesus has called you to follow him. Not one of these are bad things, but not one of these is the reason that you should be following Jesus this morning. These might be side benefits. These might be things that actually happen. But these are not the reason why we become followers of Jesus Christ. Friends, I think there are plenty of fans for God and religion and morality. There are few followers. Mark Cuban owns the Dallas Mavericks and he writes this. Think back to the first professional sporting event you ever went to. It was probably a parent taking you to a game. What do you remember? What do, you, do you remember the score, a home run, a jump shot, a pass play? Or do you remember who you were with? I remember being with my dad at a Pirates game, my, my dad and my uncle at a Steelers game. Think about your fondest memories at a sporting event. Listen to what he says here. We don't sell the game. He's talking about him, what they do for their franchise, the Dallas Mavericks. We sell unique emotional experiences. 
we're not in the business of selling basketball. We're in the business of giving you a chance to create shared experiences. I want you to hear from my mouth, and I have to probably tell you more and more, that is not why we gather. We are not here to try to create an emotional high or a buzz or some sort of shared experience for you. We are here, friends, to tell you what it means to follow Jesus and stop being a fan and be a follower of his. We're here to tell you as hard as we can and to push as much as we can for all of us to be followers of Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but you take so many swings at the purpose of your life and it just keeps hitting dirt. And all these other things are, maybe they're okay. They're, they're fine. They're not evil. But that isn't why you follow Jesus. The scripture is clear. It gives us so many insights about these paths that we take. Enter through the narrow gate, Jesus says, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. There are a lot of fans that think they're fine. But it is the following Jesus is that what he's looking at. And that's a small path. That's a narrow path. It's the harder path. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying there's a lot of people having the logos, having the verses in their head, having the spiritual answers, having all those things that look like they are great Jesus people and fans. And that's exactly what they are. They're fans. Friends, there are fans of faith all throughout our country. And I don't want to get on a soapbox, but, and I know I'm not technically supposed to tell you who to vote for, and I'm not. Here's what I'm going to tell you, though. Can I tell you what the difference between a fan and follower is? A fan picks their agenda. A fan picks issues that fit what they want. A follower tries to follow who is it that God is calling me to choose because they are modeling what it means to be a godly man or a woman. Vote with your Bible. Quit voting issues. Friends, we will not change America. Only God can do that. We better be on our knees praying that God would raise up a godly man or a woman that is going to lead to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now I know that feels like an impossibility in the world today, but can I tell you, you vote with your Bible. And for me, the, the issues are so vast and so confusing, and you can get in fights with everybody about anything today on these issues. Friends, followers of Jesus look like David. Remember when David is, is being pursued by Saul the king? And, and Saul is evil. If you read First and Second Samuel, really, Saul is an evil king. He looks like he's following God, but he's just a fan. He's doing things his own way. And what does David say? Do not touch God's anointed. He follows God's anointed. Friends, do you think God knows about our country? He hasn't forgotten America. Nor has he forgotten any other country or people group in this, in this planet. He knows. He knows better than we do. He cares for us more than we do. And so then I have to just rest and say, God, you put me in a posture to pray and pray for the man or woman that God I sense is following Jesus. It says, instead, you direct me in Psalms, you direct me on the path that leads to a beautiful life. 
This is following Jesus. This is following God. As I walk with you, the pleasures are never ending, and I know true joy and contentment. There's this interesting paradox about following Jesus. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. It will create the most fear probably in your life, and yet it's the most comforting and rewarding thing for you to do. Trisha and I watched uh, this book or this uh, documentary called The Letters about Mother Teresa, and she really is honestly probably the most respected. That's one of those people, if you ask me, who would I like to go meet? I would love to have sat down just for an hour with Mother Teresa. Now, I don't know if you know, but she's about to become canonized. I don't know if she has yet, but you have to have two miracles that are confirmed miracles, and then there has to be... uh, uh, cardinals that say that her spiritual life had integrity, basically. So this documentary is about, if you've read about her, before she died, she wrote these letters that talked about her spiritual darkness in her life and her being lost and wandering. It's so interesting that that she wrote this. And so uh, the, the movie, the documentary, is about this cardinal kind of trying to pursue and uncover What was this? And at the end, he stands in front of all these cardinals and says, it wasn't darkness and and a lack of spirituality that Mother Teresa had. She had a deeper spiritual life than any of us in this room could imagine. He was trying to say that following Jesus and not being a fan can be lonely and dark, but it's the most rewarding thing. He was describing a follower. I was so moved by that. Some wish to hear the word of God. Others wish to receive it. It's an anonymous quote. It reminds me of this story again of Teddy Roosevelt, another president, who uh, he's famous for being impatient with things, but one of the things, he's, he really didn't like any of the, you know, the evening parties at the White House, and everybody just said the same thing, right? How you doing? It's all the, the... So he wanted to just see if anybody was really listening to him. So as he's shaking hands, he said... He would say, I murdered my grandmother this morning. He, it says he did this. And, and it says that people said, um, they would say, that's great. That's great. Uh, or they would say, um, keep up the good work. I mean, these are phrases that they would say to him. Obviously, they weren't listening. It says that to a foreign diplomat later on in that evening, He had said, I murdered my grandmother this morning, and the foreign diplomat leaned in closer and said, I'm sure she had it coming to her. (laughs) Why is it every week we could gather and we have all this stuff to hear about God? We have messages and we we have internet today. I mean, think about all of the resources and the messages about God. And why aren't we receiving it? What's the difference? We're we're not living lives that are putting it into practice. Jesus is going to say this. If you want to be my disciples, then you've got to live it out. You, you, You need to be actually putting this into your life. James says it this way. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Get out of the stands of being a fan and get onto the field. Why is it we have so many fans in the faith? Because it's people taking their own path in their own way. And so this series, we're going to push pretty hard. And I know what's going to be required is an openness from you. 
uh, and in your invitation for the Holy Spirit in your life. You may not know God this morning. You may be on a search. I'm going to ask all of us to do this. And so if you don't know God, your, your prayer is, all right, God, if you're real, make yourself known. If, if you don't know where you're at this morning, maybe it's God, I don't know where this is heading, but would you speak to me in the next 42 days? I'm asking that all of us have a posture of listening to the Holy Spirit. Now, your temptation is going to be praying for the person that you really want fixed, right? And they may be here with you. That's not what we're doing right now. I'm praying as a pastor for me. For me. And so will you do that with me? We just open up your hands. I want to pray for our series. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, would so be uh, indwelling in us, in this church body for the next 42 days, God, that you would make known what needs to surface, what needs to be removed, what needs to be added. God, help us grow and be better followers of yours. In Jesus' name, amen. So with that this morning, I'm going to hit a text here that's very controversial. It's and in that it's, it brings some tension. It's Luke chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 18, it's verse 18. We're going to talk about the rich young ruler. And I want to talk about facing your obstacle. There's an obstacle in your way. If you sit here this morning and go, I feel like I'm hitting the dirt and not the ball in my spiritual life. I feel like I'm on my own path and not God's. Wherever you see yourself this morning, there's probably an obstacle that sits in your way. And I want to give you some observations out of this Luke 18 passage about the rich young ruler. Now we can know just by the title, rich young ruler meant that he had wealth and he was a ruler of something. Some say of a synagogue, some say of an, uh, a certain village. We, we know about him is he had wealth and he had status. Now I was tempted to play a video for you uh, that uh, Marilyn brought in our teaching cohort time and it's called If the World Was Just 100 People, which breaks down how many of us would have been at college? How many of us would have just get uh, $2 a day uh, for work? How many are waiting for a meal? I mean, it's amazing. And you start to realize in the scope of world history, this room is like in the top, what, 1%, 2% of wealth and status. So be careful, friends, when we read Rich Young Ruler, that you don't do what I would do is like, well, I'm not rich and I don't rule much, so I'm out. That's not for me. This is for us. So Luke 18, I want to make some observations. It says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Interesting question. Tell me what I should be doing. So many people show up to church. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. When really, God says very clearly what we're to be about, but we so want answers that just make us feel better about what we're doing. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus throws kind of a monkey wrench into that and says, why do you call me good? The Son of God, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Now, a couple observations. First of all, Jesus has not died on the cross and not resurrected, which... So now we know it's pre-cross. What's pre-cross as far as religion is concerned? It's Jewish and Hebrew faith. What does that constitute? What does that mean? It means they had 637 laws 
and they were measuring of being right with God based on what you were doing and not doing. Jesus is giving in some ways a great picture about what's to come and saying nobody in this old system is good. Nobody can earn it. Nobody can fix it. No one is good. He goes on and says, Jesus says, you know the commandments, which would have been very popular pre-cross. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And look at his response. <laughs> I've kept all these. Since a boy, I, I've been good. I am, I'm, in, I'm in the right space. I, I hear so many people when we talk about our faith journey who, who want to kind of balance the scales. Well, at least I'm not like those guys down in Webster in the prison. At least like I'm not like that person on the news, like that politician, like that neighbor. See, we start to compare, and so this man, this rich young ruler, obviously just says, I'm good. This is great. What's first observation? Good works are not God's path. Good works are definitely not the path that God wants us to follow. Our path if it's balanced on works and doing good and balancing the scale somehow, what you've gone has gone your own way. Because what we're going to find is Jesus is saying, you can't do good enough to follow me. It's not about those things. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Could you imagine just the bummer that he just did? This guy's feeling really good about himself. Oh, there's one thing. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, typical to Jesus' teachings, you need to know when you read your Bible, uh, Jesus is the master teacher. We, we know this, obviously, the Son of God. But when we read the Gospels about when Jesus teaches, he can teach a text that will hit five different people groups in different places. And so we could, in four weeks, teach this same passage and talk about money. We could talk about status, right? We're going to talk about something a little bit different here, which is, what does it mean to be a follower and not a fan? And I'm saying that because there's a whole wealth angle to this that we're not really going to dig too deeply in, but it does talk about that. That's difficult. But that's not really the point of what Jesus is getting at. Because wouldn't we agree here, Jesus is not suggesting that this guy could be saved by selling everything. Right? We know Jesus is going to die on a cross and it's going to be salvation through him alone. So why is he saying this? God's path calls you to let go of everything. This doesn't mean that this man had to actually sell it, but Jesus recognized something about him that might be true of you and I this morning. We hold on to things. We, we've hold on. When we're on our own path, we're holding on to stuff. And so let me give you some examples. Some of you are holding on to relationships. That's your idol. Remember when Emma, a couple weeks ago, sang that beautiful song, and she says, anything that I love more than God is an idol. 
Jesus recognized right away that this man's wealth wasn't evil in and of itself. It was his idol. God's path calls us to begin to let go. You might be holding on to relationships. You might be holding on to your time, your image, your status. And, and what we have in a lot of people that are fans and saying, I love this Jesus thing, you know, like the rich angler. This is good. How do I kind of get more into this? And Jesus says, you've got to let go of everything. You've got to be willing to pray through the list of the things to let go. And I think it's more of an emotional and spiritual let go. God, tomorrow, could I let go? People have asked me uh, this question. Hey, what do you see yourself doing in five years? And I always wonder, sometimes people ask me that, thinking, am I going to leave, right? And it's not that there haven't been offers to leave to bigger churches and better places, but here's what I say to them. I think of my job this way. I have to wake up every morning saying, this is the last job I'll ever have. I have to treat it that way. That, that I'm not looking for the next thing. I also have to recognize I could be done tomorrow. Therefore, I hold very loosely to it being my identity. I think this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, I just need to know what's most important in your life. What are you following? This is the Jesus point is here. It goes on. Verse 23, it says, when he heard this, this rich young ruler, he became very sad. There's two other gospels that talk about this story. It says his face was disappointed. He, he, went, he put his head down because he was very wealthy. It's not because he was wealthy. What was the issue? No, I can't do that. I'm going to choose not to follow, be a follower. I'm going to choose to be a fan. Nope. I'm really bummed right now because this is what I am going to hold on to. Wow, I see this often in the faith, in my own life and others. When I'm finding that I'm hitting the dirt and not the purpose of my life, it's often because I've said no and I'm holding on to something that I've held on to more than I am being a follower of God. See, God's not going to tell us all at the end of this series, just so you know, that you're going to all going to sell your homes and give to the poor. But God does want to know is what's most important and the purpose of your life. And you're going to find in the series, friends, it is to follow Jesus. Like a Mother Teresa that said, I will walk away from wealth, my life, my family, and everything. He was very sad. Jesus looks at him and says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, again, this is where the, the money angle could go into. You could talk about wealth, but that's not really Jesus' point. What's he saying? Money has a hold on us. Having things. We could easily say, it, it, not even measuring bank accounts, but someone who doesn't have that much, but their bank account, be, they don't have to be rich, like we think rich. It could, though, be family. It could be, I have a great family, there are no problems. It is only when the problems arise that we begin to realize we have need. This is what the next point is. We choose our path most often when we don't have need. We go to become fans of Jesus when we're not in need. Why is it in the third world that when people are, 
there is faith like you can't believe in the third world. When you go to countries where people are praying as families, God, bring us food today. There, there is an absolute dependence and trust in God. When I have a bank account, I do, that I can go to Burger King five times today. Would not be healthy, would not be right. I'd probably be a mess for a week, but I, I can go eat as often as I want. I don't remember ever kneeling apart when I was growing up. I remember with my mom we did once, waiting for my dad to bring home groceries, but apart from, I've never been in hunger. So I'm never praying for that. What is it about having things, having wealth does? Jesus is making a point. When we don't have need, we often aren't following Jesus. When we feel like we don't have need. This is why Easter is so profound. Easter's not just to get all pumped up and riled up and say he is risen. We recognize we needed his mercy. We celebrate the fact that he offered a possibility in an impossible path, our own path. Friends, that is the richness of this. When we have need, when we recognize we have need. A friend of mine, I remember asking him, what was the most significant spiritual point in your, in your journey? And he had said, when I went bankrupt. I said, why? He said, because the first time that my family and I could honestly get real with our following Jesus and, not, and let go. This man was sad because he realized, nope, I can't let go and I'm going to choose not to be a follower. Now this doesn't mean that we can't have things and not follow God. It's like I'm saying, is that Jesus, I believe, is asking us to let it go because it may go, most likely will. Verse 26, those who heard this were a little bit nervous. Oh my gosh, then who could be saved? Who could be saved if it's this impossible? Jesus replies, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, isn't this a beautiful, prophetic word from Jesus? He's going to end up dying across and making what? Man's religious system for hundreds and hundreds of years of following laws and trying to balance the scales of, of good works, of saying, I'm going to do it all finally for you. It now is possible. It now is possible. Friends, the rich young ruler did not have an impossible chore, an impossible ask. Through Jesus, it's made possible. But following Jesus will ask everything of you. It may not cost you everything, but he's going to ask everything of you. He goes on, and uh, God's path is accepting his offer of salvation. Very clear here, we, we have to know that the starting point of following Jesus is that we offer, we, we accept the offer of salvation. But that means there's a daily surrendering, isn't it? It goes on to say, Peter says to him, which he typically did, right? He spoke first, often. Whoa, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. I, again, you can just hear the self kind of attaboy on himself. Peter's kind of giving him, because we know that the disciples did what? Come follow me. They stopped and let go of businesses. It says they left their families. Some of you won't like this, and, and I'm very pro-family. 
And I'm not saying walk away from your families, but Jesus is going to say, he, he's going to say, your family can't be more important than me. Your kids can't be more important than me. It doesn't mean he's saying walk away from them. It doesn't mean he's saying skirt the responsibility that you have to be that godly man or godly woman or, or sibling in, their, in that role. It means they can't be the idol. It says, we've left all we've had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus says, no one who has left home or a wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. God's path demands a daily trust in him and honor ourselves. And, and, and. As hard as it is, it's going to be to let go. You are going to have a depth and a joy and a sense of purpose. Don't you want to stop hitting the dirt? Don't you, don't you want to move from the stands and being a crazy fan and being a devoted follower? I do. This morning, you, you all have a choice. Every one of us this morning has a choice. We have a choice to choose our own path. Even as you hear me talk this morning, many of you are making the, the decision of what you're going to listen to and not listen to. And the scripture says that that's true. It said many in the end times will find teachers for them to tickle their ears, to give them what they want to hear. When you're following your own path, you're holding on to things. And this morning, you have a path to choose. You're either going to be a fan or a follower. There is no third way. And Jesus is asking you this morning, which I want to ask you this morning, is what do you have to let go of? It may not be that you have to sell it or walk away from it, but emotionally and spiritually to get down on your knees. And I've, I'm telling you, this is difficult to do. This week, uh, I met with a leader from our church who had some concerns and just saying, so things about our church, and no matter where that comes from, when someone says the Holy Spirit's spoken to me, i got to listen because I want to be that follower. I don't want to be a person holding on to anything that's going to be the obstacle for me to be a follower of Jesus. And so a couple of my prayers this week were, Lord, I love my wife, but I have to let go, and she can't be my idol. My kids can't be my idol. My job can't be my idol. I have to let go of bank account. I have to let go of house. What is it for you this morning? What is it that you find yourself holding on to and saying, oh, nope, not doing that one? That's what Jesus is asking his followers, is saying, you've got to be able to cash it all in. You've got you to be willing to let it all go. I think this is the beauty of, again, watching Mother Teresa's life who had all those things, and it doesn't make her better. But what we get is a great and beautiful picture of someone who said, I'm willing to not let anything else be an idol. It's not that she didn't struggle. Oh, she did. I think about this morning, what would it look like for a church body to shift from fans to followers? What would happen in your home? Many of you wonder why kids have walked away from the faith. It's largely because they've seen parents that are fans of Jesus, but really not followers. 
Because when it comes down to it, they've watched their parents hold on to idols that they love more than they do God. That is why they walk away. When you begin to model what it means to be a follower, it can't help but get out in your home. What are you holding on to this morning? You're going to go to communion this morning as we do a response time. Bobby's going to lead us in, in a song. And I, I'm telling you this morning, can I ask you if you're a fan of Jesus and not committed to be a follower, do not take communion. You get no credit for going to communion. God is, this isn't like a, a reset. Here, I'm doing this for you, God. Or I'm going to recommit this week. When you take in the bread and the cup, you are proclaiming Jesus in you. When you proclaim Jesus in you, it is once again a, a proclamation of being a follower of Jesus, willing to let go of everything. Why do we have so many fans? Because being a follower is scary. It's hard. It's difficult. <coughs> Friends, I, I got to say, every morning I, I answered this one fellow this week. I just said, I feel a weight. And we were talking about the Holy Spirit and areas of control and wandering and repentance and all these things. And I looked and I said, I could confess to all those right now. Yep, trying to work through it. And I said, the reality is every morning I wake up and I think this is the hardest and ter most terrible job you could ever have because I feel a weight with, for you and for me. I feel it. But then I say, I wake up every morning too, but it's the best job one could ever have because when you watch people move from fan to follower, it is so powerful. And I know it's not me, but I get to be a part of it. Friends, this morning as we go to communion, we've sat around here. We're, this is not about trying to move you to something. But will you ask the question of the Holy Spirit, what do I need to let go of this morning? What's the obstacle in my path? Will you do that? Father in heaven, as we go to the table this morning, may we, may we treat it with holiness and respect and a sense of honor, God, that you have given us mercy. And you have given us a reminder, a sacrament that's a reminder of you in us, of indwelling in our lives. Father, thank you for this, the Holy Spirit's work. Will you weigh heavy on us this morning and identify anything in me or my friends here this morning that we've got to let go of? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.